Good morning and welcome to the Monday, February 5th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, This morning we're going to be doing a slightly different thing. I'm going to be sharing my sermon from this past Sunday that I preached um, on Matthew 13, verses 13 through 17, but you're going to have a special special welcome this morning. This is my grandson, Rodney. Go. Say Papa's podcast. Papa's podcast. There we go. Let us pray. We find ourselves empty. Revive us according to your word. We have sought your wisdom in prayer, and you have answered and taught us your will. Open our hearts that we may understand the way of your instructions and think on your wondrous deeds. Our souls weep because of sin. Help us find repentance according to your teachings. Remove every deceitful and false way from us and replace it with your law. In you we have found the faithful way. Your judgments ever guide us. Let us cling to your testimonies, O Yahweh, that we might never be put to shame. We shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge our hearts. Amen. And for those who are able, please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. As I indicated in the children's sermon, we're going to be reading from Matthew 13, verses 13 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. have to admit that uh you know when pastor jay was speaking of actually when he was preparing for last week and uh it was very early in that week and all of a sudden he goes because i was thinking he was going to cover all of 10 through 17 and all of a sudden i get get this text going i'm not going to be able to do it can you pick up verses 13 through 17 and me being me goes sure i'm all bouncy and sure not a problem and really didn't think about it through that week as much. But as I came into this week, I, I kept looking at myself in the mirror, and I had, as, as, as Sam so clearly put, I, actually my wife talked Sam into, into this, that I have resting grumpy face, and I caught myself with resting grumpy face. Um, and and resting, resting grumping face in relationship to myself, um, in studying through this, I, I didn't expect this. I mean, this is parables. I wasn't really expecting this. These verses kept kicking me in the gut. And thus the resting grumpy face, because the conviction was, was, was brutal with these verses. Um, so I'm letting you know ahead of time. I've, I already actually apologized to Sam that I'm sorry if I end up with resting grumpy face. So I'll apologize to you as well. I'm sorry if I end up with resting grumpy face up here. But the conviction of these verses is key 
for our Christian walk. So we need to start out by remembering a number of things from last week. We need to remember where we're coming from here with the verses Pastor Jay dealt with last week. And he spoke to us about the doctrine of election, but he, he really, really came to us about the fact of what a wonderful, wonderful gift it was, this mystery that was spoken of, the mystery of the gospel, the, the mystery of the fact that Gentiles and Jews, you and I, the Gentiles and the Jews, were brought together in a love for Christ, in a love for God, and brought together and provided salvation where we absolutely deserved none of it. And how incredible that was. And that that itself should shape us, should shape our walk, should shape our life. That when I speak of walk, please understand, Paul uses this term a lot, and that's why I've gotten to use it. I love going through the epistles of Paul. Is when he's speaking of walk, he's talking about the practice of your life, what you live out every second of every day. So in our worthy walk, as we see in Ephesians 4, in our Christian walk, that, that wonderful, wonderful gift, that as it's spoken of by many, particularly the Puritans, that unspeakable gift. Because, and it's not unspeakable because we can't say it, it's unspeakable because we can't come up with all the words it would take to truly alliterate what it means to truly state clearly. We're just not capable of it, particularly in the English language. We are incapable of truly laying out the beauty of that gift. So what we're going to see today is a continuation of that gift. It builds on what Pastor Jay spoke of last week. It builds on that mystery. So what we're going to see in our first three verses here today, verses 13 through 15, is Jesus quoting from Isaiah 6, 8 through 10. Those are the verses there that he's referring to. And what I want us to understand here as we go through it, because it's really, really easy, and I say this being one of those that have stumbled over these verses and struggled to understand what was being said, both here and back in Isaiah. Because if we don't understand it, we can absolutely come down to the point where we're like, wow, what an angry, angry God this is. But if we do that, we're totally not understanding what's being said by Isaiah and what's quoted and by Jesus's, Jesus's, did I say that right? His use of the quote from Isaiah, what he's trying to say here. So I want to read you the quote from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 6, 8 through 10. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not know. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. So like I said, it's really, really easy to hear that and go, wow, that's rough. But it's not. That is truly God stating fact, not imposing anything on them. Please don't misunderstand these verses. What he's referring to here, so one, let's look at the context that Isaiah is speaking, or yeah, Isaiah is speaking of here. This is the year, and he states that in, in um, Isaiah 6.1. This is the year that King Uzziah dies, okay? And Uzziah, while, while maybe not being a great king, there was at least some order, there was at least some control 
But the fact is, even at that point, Israel has gone so far off the deep end from what God had set before them that they are already seeing but not knowing. They are already hearing but not understanding. Their hearts are already insensitive, dull in some translations. Speaks of dull. Actually, Jesus speaks of dull here in Matthew 13. Their hearts are dull already because they're straying away. But the crux of that, that Uzziah is dying, is it's about to get a whole lot worse. And this is heading towards the fact, they're heading into great chaos, and this is heading towards very rapidly towards Nebuchadnezzar coming in and invading and taking a great chunk of them off into the Babylonian exile. Thus the punishment that God is speaking of that they would be healed from. What God is truly saying here is that these people already see and don't understand. They hear and don't grasp. Their hearts are dull because they've chosen to be that way. Again, we see clearly God's state over and over, and we see clearly Jesus' state, that he didn't come to judge that those who've chosen not to believe condemn themselves. They've condemned themselves. This is what Isaiah is speaking of here, and this is what Jesus is trying to quote in our verses. So like I said, the first fulfillment of this ends up being Nebuchadnezzar piling in and and ransacking the land of Israel. But the second fulfillment is the follow-up here in the first century, where the Romans pile in in 70 AD and slaughter and rape and pillage, and the Jews scatter from the land for near 2,000 years? That's the second fulfillment of it. Because they won't believe. That is why Jesus is bringing this up here. Because they won't see, they won't hear. They've already hardened their hearts. The implication here is that God is not allowing is not that God is not allowing these people to see and not perceive and hear and not understand and causing their hearts to be numb. What is being said here is that these people can see all that God has done and all the love that he has shown his people Israel, but they're not perceiving the truth of God and his word brought through Jesus Christ. These people have heard all the simple message of the gospel. The gospel is not complex. It's not complex, and they've heard it but they continue to refuse to understand. They've seen the miracles, the miracles that they, in their own, within their own religion, because it's no longer really a faith, in fact, is it's a false religion, but even within their false religion, they've seen the miracles that could have only have come from God. And they've heard the teaching that builds on the Old Testament that shows clearly and ties into the prophecies of the Old Testament to show that this is the Christ, the Son of God. Yet they choose, have already chosen, not to believe. Thus they have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear and have dull hearts. They've caused that on themselves. They've condemned themselves. And what it made me think of is, is I've been studying back in John. And in John 9, we have the story of the man who was born blind that Jesus healed. And not only do we see Jesus bring about in this man a, 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 a giving of sight, not a restoration of sight, because a man never was able to see. Everything in his ocular capability was broke. 
And Jesus created new and gave him physical sight, but he gave him spiritual sight, which you and I both can agree is the more important. But we see him, even him, this man born blind. This is a man born blind. This is a man that truly could have no education because they didn't have Braille back then. There's no way he could read and study and work through. This is a man who has pretty much lived his life on the street, can't even work to provide for himself. There's no kind of work out there for a blind man at this point. Born blind. Yet even he stomps the arguments of the intellectual elite. Um, John 9, 31 through 33. What this is, this is a basic logical argument. It's what's called a syllogism. You've got a major premise, a minor premise, and the two of them together give you a conclusion. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this, this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So let me lay out the major minor premises. The major premise here is that you clearly see, and please understand, they didn't argue that this man, that a miracle had been done in this man. And this man that was born blind, they agreed with that, and could now see that a miracle had been done and had been done by Jesus. So the major premise here is that this man just healed me. And the minor premise is that, I'm sorry, the major premise is that no one could do this unless they were from God. The minor premise is this man did this. The conclusion is this man must be from God. So this uneducated man lays this out for them. And you know what they did? They disparaged him and threw him out of the synagogue, which in, in, in that situation basically ended his life, not physically, but you, you, you're cut off completely from civilization. Those are the, the, these that see and don't, don't perceive and hear and don't understand and have dull hearts. That's what Jesus is referring to here. This religious elite hardened their hearts as Pharaoh did when Moses and Aaron came to him to get him to let the Israelites go. Which eventually led to the point, he's hardened his heart enough. He's shown his unbelief. And believe me, when God did this, he showed, here's the curse, here's the blessing. Pharaoh kept choosing the curse. He kept choosing it. He cursed himself. He condemned himself. He condemned the Egyptians. These are doing the same thing that Jesus is speaking to here in parables. Even the average everyday, it's not just the religious elite. Believe me, the same ones that sat there on the triumphal entry claiming Hosanna, Hosanna, were the same ones sitting there going, crucify him. They weren't real believers. Not even close. We see the same thing in Jeremiah 42, when after people rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, yet others save them. They come to Jeremiah, again, some of the Israelites wanted to rebel and killed off who Nebuchadnezzar had left, and others came in and wiped those guys out and protected everybody and brought them together, and they're like, okay, now what do we do? Because they were terrified of what, how Nebuchadnezzar was going to respond. Understandably so. So they go to Jeremiah, and they ask him, please pray to God for us, 
and find out what we should do. So he goes to God and he prays. And what he comes back with is, stay here. You're going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. Nebuchadnezzar's not going to mess with you. You're going to be fine. But if you go to Egypt, none of your seed will return. They will all die there. Blessing, curse. Very clear. They look at Jeremiah. They go, guess what? We're not buying it. You're not from God. And we're going to pile into Egypt. And not one of their seed returned. They condemned themselves. Again, the eyes that don't see, the ears that don't hear, the dullness of heart. And again, as Jay has said before, and as I'll say before, the heart when they're talking about this this isn't this isn't the valentine heart this isn't the seat of feeling this is the core this is the soul this is the center of being when they spoke of emotions they spoke of your bowels your splintna i love using that word my wife and i laugh about that all the time we love each other with our splintnas but again talking about their soul it's dull it has shut out any and all about the gospel but again, we have to see they've condemned themselves. God didn't have to condemn them. They condemned themselves. He laid out clearly what the curse and the blessing was. We, we even see that when they come into the promised land, when the Israelites come into the promised land. Six of them go up on one, six tribes go up on one mountain, six tribes go up on the other mountain. One group proclaims the curses, one group proclaims the blessings. So, as, as we talk about this word that, that comes out in our society all the time, there was clear transparency here. They knew what they faced, and they chose not to believe anyways. That's what we're facing. That is what Jesus is dealing with here. And so that's the lead-up to what really honestly kicked me in the gut all week about this is verses 16 and 17. So verse 16 but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Again, he's speaking to the disciples here. Those that have shown true belief. And again, we see that. Yes, we won't see it in its complete fruition until they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between the, the, those gentlemen and us. When we come to salvation, we've already been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In their case, there were a few things that had to happen, but they were already manifesting saving faith. They believed. They may misunderstand what the Messiah was there to do overall in some certain places, but they believed he was the Son of God, the Messiah. They proclaimed it loudly. And so they were able to see. They've been given that ability by God. And they've been given the ability to hear and understand. Not only have they seen the miracles and understood them, but they've heard the teaching and they're grasping. Oh, okay, this is what he's saying. To a certain extent, again, as um, Daniel spoke of, in some cases they may be still seeing through kind of a shadow, like when these haven't transitioned back all the way, um, and I stumble around in the house until they finally do. But there is some perception there. there. There is some grasp there. But then we hit verse 17. And again, in 16, they're blessed. He's stating clearly they're blessed. Again, that continuing gift, as we spoke of, as Pastor Jay spoke of last week. 
Verse 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And truly, that verse and some of the verses I went into that you're going to hear here in a minute is what gave me my title. Because I like to title mine for whatever reason. And my title was what prophets, righteous men, and angels longed to see. Because again, these were given the gift to see. And it is an amazing, amazing gift. They were able to see the truth of the gospel. The salvation of mankind was something that was only able to be clearly seen and understood upon the death and resurrection of Christ. Again, like I said, they're seeing dimly, but when the Holy Spirit indwells them on, on um, Pentecost, they are brought to a clear understanding of the Scriptures. And I have to state again, I think I've stated it from this pulpit before, but when I came to a saving faith in Christ, and, and, and I'd grown up being in the Scripture, having read through it multiple times, and the absolute difference from the moment I was saved, I truly had a Paul moment there when Ananias came to him in Damascus where the scales fell from my eyes and the, the, the just beautiful things that bubbled out from the Scripture that I went, I didn't get that before. Things I had read multiple times. I'm like, wait, you're kidding? Wait, oh, that's, I mean, it was amazing. It was like, it was a whole new book. It was a whole new gospel. It was a whole new grasp of it. But that's what he's speaking of here, how blessed they are. Again, hasn't come to complete fruition yet, but that's what he's prophesying. And again, the, the verb tenses and stuff used there are as if it already happened because it's guaranteed it's going to happen to these. And it's guaranteed that it's going to happen to us when we come to a saving faith in Christ. So it is a guaranteed gift. It's not something we hope we get, like, you know, we come to the end of the year and, and hope our company can give a Christmas bonus or something like that. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But it's a bonus. It's not owed. So we don't know whether it's coming or not. No, this was something they knew was coming. However, there's been many down through the history, and this is what I want us to see. This is what was kicking me in the gut, and actually Pastor Jay and I had talked about it was kicking me in the gut here, is that there were many down through the history of the Bible that had looked towards this, the being able to see and perceive and hear and understand that were never able to do so. To see this wonderful truth, and again, that uns this unspeakable gift. 1 Peter 1, 10-12. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been declared to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Things into which angels long to look. Peter's very, very clear. Many, many, many prophets and righteous men, as, as Jesus spoke of here, prophets and righteous men desiring to see what you see. As Peter proclaims here, angels long to look. And of course we see that and go, oh, okay. We have to understand, angels don't get 
salvation. They don't. They were never offered it. It was not offered to them. And they don't understand. We, who are less than the angels and are at enmity with God and at war with God outside of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and being brought to a saving faith with Christ, they don't understand us being given salvation, being given the opportunity for salvation. They don't. It's something that just so intrigues them they want to see. So they're looking, this is looking down through the history of the Bible. But there were many who did so. And so when I started digging into this, and excuse me, dry myself out. When I started looking back through this, you can go right all the way back to Abraham. Actually, there's some before Abraham, but you can look at Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And Yahweh said to Abram, actually it's Abram at this point, Abram, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the ones who curse you, who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, Abram clearly understood. So we read that and we go, okay, we have to get the last part. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That is a clear indication of down through the entirety of history, the entirety of eternity, that all the families of the earth will be blessed and blessed through Abram. And he's told this clearly. And it's made clear as you go on into Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 that he's not going to see the end of this. He's not going to see it at all. It's made clear to him. Yet we see Abram, who becomes Abraham, being willing in that to continue the work of God, even though he knows he's not going to see it. As Peter talked about, that they're working... Um, sorry, let me back up there. Um, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In this case, it's made clear to Abram that he's not serving himself. He's a serving all the families of the earth. He's serving them. In the sacrifice, in, in the attempted sacrifice of his own son as commanded by God. Again, looking forward to Christ. Sacrificing Isaac. Yet the ram is provided. But again, he knows this isn't for him. He's not going to see it. But he continued in his flawed way, because as we see down through the history, all of us are flawed. At the same time, he continues to do the will of God even knowing he won't see it coming to fruition. Hebrews 11, 10-13 makes this clear. For he was looking for the city, this is speaking of Abraham, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's the holy city. That's upon glorification, where we come. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she regarded him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born every, even of one man, and him as good as dead at that. At that. So he was around 100 years old when, he, when, he gave birth to Isaac, when they gave birth to Isaac. As many as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sands which is by the seashore, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So they saw them dimly, as Daniel spoke of up there, saw them dimly down through history, but knew they would not see the fruition. 
but they stayed faithful. And this made me think of Zechariah. Zechariah 12, 10-14. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will, not, will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadadrimon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land will mourn each family alone, the family of the house of David alone, and their wives alone, the family of the house of Nathan alone, and their wives alone, the family of the house of Levi alone, and their wives alone, the family of the Shmeites alone, and their wives alone. All the families that remain, each family alone, and their wives alone. You caught the part where I emphasized there about being pierced. This is prophesying about the Christ. This is Zechariah prophesying about the Christ. He's seeing down through history. He's being, he's being by God, be given the message of the Christ coming. Yet he doesn't get to see it. It will not be clearly seen, even in this case, in the verses we're dealing with, until Christ's death and resurrection. But at least these gentlemen here are going to get to see it. But those didn't. We get to see it because we get to look back at it. And we get to see it in our own lives. But Zechariah continued his work for the kingdom. For us, as we saw in, in uh, Peter. That work for us. Or in Hebrews, excuse me. That work for us. He continued that work. And, and please, don't, please don't misunderstand the majority, if not all of the prophets, believe me, they didn't live beautiful lives. Most of them were murdered, treated badly, imprisoned. Um, who is it? Jeremiah, thrown in the bottom of a well. You name it. And wow, talking of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are shepherding my people. You have scattered my flock and banished them and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares Yahweh. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the land where I have banished them and cause them to return to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will shepherd them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be left unattended." declares Yahweh. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up from, for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and prosper and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called, Yahweh our righteousness. Now, that one kind of just hits you in the face. That's clearly looking down at Christ. Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. That kind of tells you what kind of life the man had. Yet he continued in service to his God, even knowing he would not see the culmination of this. Even David himself, the man who walked after God's own heart, looked down through time knowing he would not see what those disciples, and we are blessed to see. Psalm 119.18 
Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. So we've been given this gift of sight. We've been given this gift of sight, this unspeakable gift to understand the gospel, to see the salvation, to see the being united into one body. And boy, do we miss that part. But what an amazing gift it is to be able to perceive and understand the gospel and how blessed we are to have been given it when so many before the birth of Christ did not get to see it, even though they continued the work of the kingdom. So with all that said, comes the question from Dr. Steve Lawson that I always, when I'm preparing something like this, I always back up and ask myself, so what? How does it apply to us? And this was what was kicking me in the gut all week. We need to manifest the awe and wonder that is appropriate in acknowledgement of that wonderful gift and quit running around getting caught up and spouting, that's not fair every time we turn around. It's really, really easy to read this and think, well, that's not fair. They condemned themselves. But we've been truly blessed with this gift. An unearned gift. Mercy. Because as Pastor Jay said last week, and I loved when he said it, we don't want justice. We don't want fair. Theologian I love to listen to, have loved, and definitely miss, told a story one time. He was a professor at a college. And he came in, and he had class. He set up class, first day of class, and he said, here's the deal. Gave out the syllabus, said there's going to be three projects due throughout the year, or throughout the semester. They're going to be here, here, and here. No, there's not going to be any late work accepted. You've got to have it in on time. So the semester went on. They hit the first project. Most of the class turned it in, but there were a few that didn't and came up asking for extensions and stuff like that. And he went, hmm, okay. So we allowed him to turn in some late work. So come to the second project. More came up wanting extensions. And so he said, you know, okay, fine. Sure, go ahead and turn in some late. We'll mark it off a little bit. Go ahead and turn it in late. So it comes up to the third project, probably better than half the class, wanting extensions and all that. So he's going through um, getting the projects up and grade sheet up on, and of course at this time, the, the old projectors they used to use and stuff like that to project up the little grease pencil diagrams and stuff that most of the youngers won't know, so I'm aging myself, I'm dating myself. Um, he's sitting there and he, you know, marking, okay, got it, got it, got it. I'm not done, first person, I'm not done yet, can I get an extension? He goes, no, puts a zero in it. Guy stands up, that's not fair. He goes, you want fair? Well, yeah. Okay. Goes back along the grade sheet, puts a zero in for the second project because the man had been late on that. Put a zero in for the first project because the man had been late. He goes, do you really want fairness? That's justice. That's fairness. you getting the appropriate gift, if you want to call it a gift, 
for what you've done. Well, that's not what we want. We want mercy. We want grace. That's what's been given. That's what Jesus is speaking of here, is we've been given grace and mercy in being given the ability to see and perceive and to hear and understand and to not have a dull heart, having that heart of stone ripped out that is dull and a heart of flesh put in, as Ezekiel speaks of. All these that look down through history, knowing that they would never see and hear that which they were working for, they continued in their faithful faithful service. They didn't sit there and go, oh, I can see this, and sit on their backsides. It flowed out of them. I've heard, um, and I forget who, it was a pastor previously, pointed this out to me, that so many of us that profess Christ act like a shut-off water valve. We get all that grace poured into us through, through teaching and preaching and all that, but the valve is shut because it backs up behind us, but it doesn't flow out of us. How can we sit here and be that way? The fact is, we should be, in a, as the analogy he used, we should be the open pipe that flows in the back and it's right out the front. The grace pours out of us. And it doesn't do it from the pew. It doesn't do it from standing behind here. It does it from outside those doors. That is where we step up and we show the gift that God has given us. That we've been truly blessed to know the mystery and to have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. That's where we manifest it. Yes, we manifest it among each other, and yes, we should do it here first, but it should be, we should be filled up to overflowing to where it flows out those doors like a river and down through our community so that they know that God is here at Vale Valley, so that they know he is here in this community, and so that we truly walk this community like Christ. Because we are told, told clearly that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and our neighbor is everyone out there. We are not allowed to hate we love them, and if we love them, we bring them the gospel. We've been given this gift, a gift we didn't earn. I mean, we send thank you cards when people give us Christmas gifts, birthday gifts. I know I was made to do it as a kid, and I hated it. I hated it. Not that I didn't want to say thank you. I just hated writing out the cards and addressing them because my penmanship was atrocious and is even worse now. But we do that, and we won't walk out and give the gospel to the world around us? What a thank you card to God that would be. And who deserves it more than God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And that's what kicked me in the gut all week. Because I was so convicted at the fact that I know what wonderful gifts I've been given. And I know what gifts I've seen given among here. I'm looking at one right here. What a wonderful gift. What wonderful gifts we've had wonderful gifts back there that have come to join us. And we've got to manifest those gifts out there. We're, it's not about sitting here on our Christian fundaments being very, very happy that we've been fed. We need to be fed. But we're fed 
to go out there and do the work of God, the work of the kingdom, along with Jeremiah and Zechariah and Isaiah and Abram. We've got to be out there about the work of Christ because that is the thank you that God deserves and that we owe him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this time to partake of your word in the Gospel of Matthew, to partake of Jesus' teaching here between the parable of the sower and his explanation to his disciples. And Lord, we would pray that we would come to a true understanding, a a true soul-deep grasp of the unspeakable gift that we've been given, the unspeakable blessings that have been laid upon us. And Lord, that we would pour those blessings out among our brothers and sisters here in Christ and among our community, that we would truly be imitators of God. In your name we pray, amen.